The armies of two nations have gathered for battle. On one side you have the soldiers of the nation of Israel standing on top of one great hill, rallying the troops together as they look across this valley. And on the other side you have the soldiers of the nation of the Philistines. And down below stands the valley upon which they are about to go to battle. There is one man that the Philistines have that is their champion warrior. He is a man who has been victorious in a number of battles, and he is a champion with good reason. He puts Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime to shame. This man was ripped with muscles. This man is bulging with strength, with confidence, with muscles. To look at him would make you shudder. The strength was so great that the army, or the armor that he carried and the helmet on his head combined to a weight of 125 pounds. He was strong. Not only that, he carried with him a large spear that had a point on it and a head on it that weighed 15 pounds. He carried a sword and he had even with him an armor bearer. I was, trying to vision, I was thinking of some little short guy, but maybe he was a tall guy, who carried his shield ahead of him. The champion warrior from Gath stood nine feet, nine inches tall, ripped with muscles, armor to the hilt, with sword and spear, armor guard in front of him carrying a shield. Rightfully, his name was Goliath. Rather than have the two go to battle, rather than using this valley as most places and most wars would go where you would have an army on one side and an army on another and you would ride down into the center and go to battle and see which soldiers were standing last, a challenge is made instead. Why bother wasting all of this human life in war? You pick out one man to be your representative of the nation of Israel to go to battle against Goliath, the nine foot nine soldier, champion warrior with sword, armor, shield, spear, victorious in every battle that he's been in. One on one. Mano y mano. Winner take all. Whoever wins this battle, the other nation will serve that nation. If Goliath wins, the soldiers of Israel will lay down arms and Israel will now serve the Philistines. If the selected one of Israel wins, the Philistines must lay down arms and they will serve Israel. And so you have the Philistines standing on their mountain shouting out to the soldiers on the other mountain of Israel, send out one for this battle. And Goliath, in great confidence, in great strength, you see the muscles on this guy, you see the helmet, nine foot nine, all of him walking out, and he says, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. 
You know, you remember Saul? Head and shoulders above the rest of Israel. A warrior that everybody looked at and saw clearly he's the king. This guy's our man. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. I think I would be too. Let's not go to battle. Goliath says, pick one. Who's it going to be? If I was ranks of Israel, I said, Saul, you're taller than all of us. Go for it. See what happens. They're terrified. And for 40 days, every morning and every evening, Goliath stood in front of the armies of the Philistines and shouted out to the people of Israel and to the soldiers, I defy you to give me a man to fight each other. Let's go. Let's battle. One on one. Winner take all. Some of the soldiers in that army of Israel were David's oldest brothers. You remember them from last week? You remember Eliab when Samuel goes to anoint the new king because of Saul's sin? We have Eliab and he looked like a soldier. He looked like a king. He was somebody that by the time that Samuel saw him, Samuel in his mind said, clearly, this is our king. Remember, God said no. God's not going to look at that. God's going to look at the heart. You have Eliab there. You have Abinadab there. You have Shamna there. The three oldest brothers of David are in this army that stands on this hill ready for battle as the Philistines stand over here. And you have Goliath shouting, give me somebody to fight. Where's David? Remember, David's just the shepherd boy. That's what Jesse called him. Jesse just said, you know, that youth of ours, he's taking care of the sheep. And that's what David is doing at this time. However, Jesse, of course, is concerned about his sons who are on this hill ready for battle. And David is now the supply messenger for his brothers. Jesse packs up David with some food, some cheese, and some other supplies of the like to eat as they've been sitting on that hill for 40 days now, night and day, waiting this out, trying to decide what they're going to do. I can imagine uh, that you have Saul trying to decide how are we going to deal with this problem, what's going on. As Israel's camped out on this mountain, David is running supplies to his brothers as they stand up there. And one of the times that David makes this trip as he's bringing supplies to his brothers happens to be one of the times, one of the mornings or one of the evenings when Goliath then walked back out of his tent all nine feet nine of him standing in front of the Philistines and says, I defy you to give me a man today that we can fight. David hears that challenge. And David asks a question. He's wondering, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about all of this? Who's going to go up and fight? Who's going to be the one to go do it? So we've got to take care of this Philistine. Who's going to be the one to challenge this one? Because he's defying the armies of the living God. Who's going to be the one? And his oldest brother, Eliab, turns to him and says, Who do you think you are coming over here and talking like that? 
I know your arrogance. I know what you're all, what you're up to. Don't you have some sheep out in the wilderness that need to be taken care of? <laughs> you ever been called useless by somebody? <laughs> That's what Eliab just told his youngest brother David. Who do you think you are asking questions like that? You don't think we're not working out a plan around here? You just come barging in here after 40 days of listening to this and say, Oh, well, who's going to go up to this guy? We're working things out, shepherd boy. Go home. I was just asking. Just asking a question here, what we're going to do. Some of the servants hear about David asking the question. And they take David to Saul. I've been a little scared about that. And say, you know, shooting your mouth off like that. Time to go see King Saul, see what he says about all this. We're in the middle of war. And David says to Saul. Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And David isn't pointing the finger at Saul and saying, your servant. He's saying, ah, Saul, don't worry about it. I'll take care of him. I'm ready for battle. I'll take care of this Philistine. All nine feet, nine inches of him. I see those arms ripped. I see the armor. I'll go get this guy. Don't don't lose heart. Don't be terrified. I'll take him out. I can think I can visualize Saul's face. As the shepherd boy says, don't worry, I'll get him. And Saul probably amused by the courageousness of David says, you can't fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. You're just a boy. He's been whooping up on people for years. He is trained. He is practiced. He's got sword, spear, armor. He is ready. He wipes out anybody in his path. You see the reason why we're not going out there? We're trying to figure out what to do. He's a trained soldier, champion warrior. We've heard about him. You're just a boy. You ever been despised for your youth? (laughs) David was right here. You're young. You don't have any experience for this battle. What do you think you're doing? David responds, Your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after and struck it down and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by the fur and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Like that response? Killed lions and bears. These animals have had my sheep by the teeth, and you know what I did? I grabbed those things by the fur and struck them down and saved those sheep. God delivered me then. He'll deliver me now. Let's go. Amazingly to me, as I read the story, Saul says, okay. I would have been like, David, bears, lions, not the same. As a nine foot nine, well trained champion soldier who's coming after us for battle. 
Besides the fact, remember what the challenge is? If you lose, we're all going to serve the Philistines. Our land is done. The Philistines are going to take over and enslave us. But 40 days have gone by. Maybe desperation has finally set in. But the stakes are high. It is the livelihood of a nation that's on the line. The stakes are extremely high. They're going to kill us if you lose. We're going to be their servants. They're going to cart us away if you lose this battle. However, Saul says, okay. In verse 38, we see Saul begins to prepare David for battle. Saul gets his armor out, gets the helmet, starts loading it on to David. You can imagine, here's our, our young David. Get that armor on him, strap it on there. Get the helmet on, get, get the sword strapped on the side there and all that. Tells us there, after, that after David gets all strapped into the armor, he's having a hard time moving. <laughs> he's not trained for this. It wasn't that it was too heavy or anything, but he's not practiced in it. You don't just throw armor on and go, all right, here we go to battle. He's not practiced in this. He has no training at all. The scripture tells us he was had great difficulty moving. He has all this armor on. And he tells Saul, you know what? This isn't going to work. Take the helmet off. Take the sword off. Take that armor off. They tell Saul. I'll take my shepherd's staff and I'll take my sling. And I'm ready to go. I think if I were Saul, I said, oh no. Nine foot nine Goliath with all that armor, helmet on, armor on, sword, spear, shield bearer in front. And you're going to go with a staff and a sling? I think if I was Saul, I would have been like, we're done for. We're done for. <laughs> All right. We're done for. But I'm too afraid to go. Saul is not riding into battle. Eliab is not running down in there. Abinadab's not going in there. Shem is not going in there. None of the trained soldiers are going in there. It's been over a month that you have Goliath standing up there cursing the God of Israel making a mockery of the armies across the other hill. And so David has his staff. He has his sling. He goes and he finds five smooth stones. It's important to visualize these stones properly. Archaeologists are finding stones used for slings that were typically on average the size of a billiard ball or a tennis ball. We often visualize it again, what that is. No. Even the Greeks and the Romans used, a, used stones that were sizes slightly greater than golf balls. We were talking about a rock. And he picks out five of these rocks. Perfect for his sling. Ready to go to battle. I'll ask this question again. You ever wondered why five? 
think about that a little bit later. He gets his five stones and marches down into the valley. Goliath sees that finally, finally somebody is answering the challenge. After 40 days of calling Israel, every name you can think of in our language, you know, you bunch of weenies, come on, you bunch of chickens. Ah, you guys will fight 40 days. They're walking around doing the chicken thing. Come on, let's do it. Finally, you can see from afar one man coming down the hill to the center. And Goliath makes his way down to the center to engage in battle. He didn't know who he was up against because when he looked at him, he died laughing. Goliath sees who Israel has brought before him. Forty days you have worked on this, and this is what you bring me? (laughs) And notice what he says in verse 43. Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? You ever been called a twig in your life? (laughs) That's what he just called him right there. Are you bringing me a stick? Do I look like a dog that you're going to try to stick out here? What a beanpole! Look at me! Nine feet nine, ripped with muscles, armor, helmet, swordsman, and you're sending me twigs? And he begins to curse David. Not told what the mockery was. Can only imagine all the slander that's spewing out of Goliath's mouth. As he sees this little David, little Twiggy, with no armor on, carrying a staff, carrying a sling, comes walking out. And Philistine calls out to David here. Goliath says, come here. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. I'm going to strew your body all over this place. Come on sense of you in a mere matter of seconds. I would like for you to visualize the contrast and I would like for you to consider this is quite a contest that we would say is lopsided. (laughs) If you're taking wagers on this, if this was a sporting event and everybody's putting the money down and they're doing the Las Vegas odds, uh, the scales are about like this. Uh, David, an experienced, not a warrior. He's a shepherd. He's not carrying armor on. He's only got a staff and a sling. And here is Goliath, champion warriors, beat everybody who's ever come up against him. He has armor. He's got a shield bearer in front of him. He's got sword and spear. He's carrying 125 pounds on him, and that's not phasing him one bit. Who's going to win this battle? Uh, Odds makers, million to one against David point, uh, there's no way. There's no chance. David said, you come against me with dagger, spear, and sword, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. Today, I'll strike you down, cut your head off, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God. And this whole assembly will know that it's not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. 
and He will hand you over to us. <laughs> I'm surprised David got anything out of his mouth. You think about a little Israelite, if he was lucky, he was probably 5'10", 6 foot, <laughs> at best, to 9 foot 9. And he said, I'm going to cut your head off. But he even reaches him. And just imagine Goliath just, just laughing at this. You're going to cut me out. You're going to cut my head off. Come on, Twiggy. Not going to happen. And what we see then in the next verse, the Philistines started forward for the attack. Upon those words, you can see Goliath sword out. Here he comes. And David calmly, stone and sling, gets that sling going. And it says that David ran quickly into the battle lines to meet the Philistine. I think when I saw Goliath coming, I would have ran quickly to the mountain. Uh, ran, runs right into battle. Verse 49, David puts his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. And you imagine that big tree Goliath coming down. And David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a stone, even though David had no sword. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. How did he do that? Verse 51. David ran and stood over him. That had to be a sight. Here is long Goliath, little David, standing on top of him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, I love that story. A man like David pulling off the impossible. Three lessons I would like to look at with you this morning at the story of David. Three lessons of how we can be more like him and being people after his own heart. Remember, God describes David in those terms, a man after God's own heart. Three things that I think that we can look at. The first is, we have to have the question of how did David have this kind of courage? Saul, his own champion warrior of sorts, he's valiant. He's a soldier. He's a fighter. Wanted nothing to do with Goliath. And all of the trained armies of Israel wanted nothing to do with this Goliath. They didn't want any piece of him. Forty days they allowed him to taunt there, and they're sitting around just terrified. What are we going to do? Why did David have the confidence to just come marching into the people and say, you know, have no fear. Don't be discouraged. I'll take care of him. Your servant is here. Shepherd boy who does not have any military training whatsoever. I will take care of it. Did you see the reason why? One of the main reasons why is that he looked in the past. When this great challenge stood before David and stood before the nation of Israel, David simply recalled what had happened before. When David answered Saul, remember we read this, your servant has been tending his father's sheep, a lion or bear came and carried off the lamb he went after, struck it down. And the conclusion that he makes is, God's going to do this again. God delivered me from previous challenges, from previous difficulties, as I'm watching over these sheep, a very important task given to the shepherd. 
And when that sheep had been taken away by a bear or a lion, you know what I did? I went after it. And I took care of that bear. I took care of that lion. I struck it down. And just as God was with me for those times when I fought those animals, God's going to be with me again. He looked to the past. He looked back in his life and he just simply pointed out, God helped me out before. He'll help me out again. God delivered me in the past. There's times that I look back and I would say, how am I going to get a sheep back from a bear? I mean, you sit there and go, that sounds pretty impossible. Really not up for it. No thanks. How am I going to get my sheep back from the lion? But David said, God did it. God delivered. God helped. God saved us this event and saved me and delivered the sheep just as I needed it to happen. God will do it again. One of the things that we see so many times in the Psalms is that David was able to have confidence in del- of deliverance from God because he could look in the past of his life and see how God had delivered before. It is very notable that that seems to be one of the great foundations that David stands on over and over again in his life is that he's able to look at the past and recognize God's hand was involved in what happened before. And because of that, a reliance that God will deliver again. And you and I have that same confidence. It's easy for us to forget how bad things were in the past. I've come to see that more and more. Things that were quite traumatic and difficult we often are able to kind of smooth out in the memory banks of, well, that wasn't as bad as it was. Yet if you really reflect, you will remember the misery of what you went through. You will remember the suffering that you felt. You will remember the despair that you went through. And we often forget, but we look back and realize, you know, God got me through that terrible circumstance. He will get me through this difficult circumstance now. And that's the confidence that David relies upon. I've used that a number of times in my own life. And I present that to you as what the scriptures say to do as a useful way to deal with trial, with challenges, distress, and suffering. Is to think about the last time you had distress and suffering. And look where you are now. Did you come through? Sure did may not have come through as the way I wanted to come through. But I'm good to go. I made it through. And that's what David says we are able to do. Look back and recognize God can get us through. I look back at the challenges of my childhood and I think, yeah, that has helped me for what I go through now with grace. So I look back and go, I've been through some tough stuff before and I was all right. Didn't expect things to turn out the way they did. Are all right. God can do it again. Same thing for your life. Look back in your life. Look back at the challenges and say, God got me through that. Didn't see how at the time. And I don't see how now. I don't suppose that David was real clear exactly how this was all going to work out with Goliath. But he did know that he was going to be victorious. As David shouted out to that tall behemoth, I'm going to cut your head off. Don't know how it's going to work out, but it's going to happen. God will deliver. Very important lesson that we learn from the life of David. Look to the past when facing our challenges. The second thing that I think is very important to consider as we 
look at how David was able to be a man after God's own heart and deal with the challenge that stood before him and have the courage to be able to say, I'm going to be the one to take this challenge on, not run away from the difficulty, but run right into Goliath himself and fight him. I think the second way we see it is that David made God's glory his priority. One of the things that you have to be impressed by is that nowhere in David's language does he say, you know what, I'm going to go do this because I want you to see that I'm not the little shepherd chicken boy that you think I am. You know, I'm going to show you, Eliab. You scorn me as nobody. I should be out in the wilderness with my flock. Let me show you. There's nothing personal in this at all. This isn't about David by any means. Nowhere in his language does he say, this is about me showing you who I am. Let me show you what I can really be. Let me show you that I can be the king over Israel. Let me show you there's a reason why God chose me to be the anointed one. It's none of that there. In fact, the language is rather different. Like in verse 26, we see David say, just who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. Not defy me or anything like that. Is God's with us. God's with these armies. And we will be victorious. Look at verse 45. You come at me with dagger and spear and sword. What did David come with? The name of the Lord of hosts. This is about God's glory, not about him. And that's what David is concerned about. David puts a priority on the glory of God. He says, somebody is going to have to do something against this Philistine because the name of the Lord is being slandered by this guy. He's just casting us down. He's just he's vilifying us. He's slandering the name of the Lord. He's slandering these armies and God is with us. David's concerned about the glory of God. The scriptures talk about that on a number of occasions. I, I pull up for you 1 Peter 1 6. He talks about the same thing of why we go through trials and why we go through suffering. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? Why do we go through trials? Why do we have to go through suffering? Why are things that be so difficult? Verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in whose praise and glory and honor? The revelation of Jesus Christ. It's it's God's glory. That's what it's all about. We go through this to refine our faith, but ultimately the greater purpose is that we will have the end result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's all about God. It is an amazing thing to be able to tell other people the reason I was able to get through that time of suffering, to get through that challenge, to endure the distress, is because God was with me. God helped me through. God was able to deal with this and help me overcome. And that's what needs to be our priority, is that God's glory is of the utmost importance. It's not about my comfort. It's not about what I want. It's not about personal exalting. It's all about God's glory. And that needs to be the purpose of our decision-making is that I'm not going to make a decision based upon, well, you know, what do I want to do today? It's about reflecting God's glory. 
and in the midst of suffering, still reflecting God's glory, still showing that God is with us. And that's what David is able to accomplish here. The armies of Israel, they looked at the challenge in very physical terms and said, there's no way we can win. They cowered in fear. They were more concerned about themselves. David said, we have to deal with this fellow because he's defying the armies of the living God. It's time to go to battle. We're not going to tolerate it. And so in our trial as well, we need to reflect the glory of God. The third point, why five stones? <laughs> why not two? Wouldn't have been a great statement of faith to take one. <laughs> God's going to do it, and I just need one. That would have been very interesting to see in the story. He doesn't do that. He takes five. Have you thought about why five? That's always strikes me in the story. Why five, David? Why so many stones do you need? You imagine the stones the size of tennis balls. He's weighted down as he's walking in there. Five of those big rocks in your pockets as you're coming in there. Why five? I think because it shows the perseverance of what he was about to do. David was not going to pull a Jonah and try to run away from this challenge. David was not going to say, this is somebody else's problem, not mine. He ran into the battle, and if he missed, he was ready to take another shot. If he slung that stone around and shot it at, at Goliath, and it hit him, and Goliath kept coming, David was not going to turn and say, well, God must not be with me. I'm out of here. He was going to stop, reload, and shoot again. And if Goliath kept coming at him, what was David going to throw up his hand and say, well, God must not be with me. Time to leave. No. He was going to be ready to shoot a third and a fourth and a fifth. I want us to consider that the reason why he probably took so many stones is that he was not about to give up. As he's going to face this great trial, this great difficulty of standing before Goliath, he was not going to give a half-hearted effort of, well, let me try one, but if it doesn't work out, I'm out of here. He was standing in to the finish. He was ready to go. He was not going to give up. He was not going to crumble. David took his stand, stones in hand, and he was going to sling those stones until he knocked Goliath down. Why else take five stones? Is that he was ready to go, and he was ready to keep going. David shows us perseverance. He shows a readiness to deal with the challenge, to deal with the trial, and to not give up, even when things might have looked like it was going the wrong direction. And the New Testament it makes that point very important to us. Not only that, we also glory in tribulation. Why? Because it's about perseverance. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of tribulation, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of distress, what are you learning? Well, if you keep enduring and fighting, you're learning perseverance. You're making you stronger. I think we all understand we learn that in a trial. 
What do, what's our saying? If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And we kind of say that in jest, but there's quite a bit of truth to it. Is when we stand in and deal with it, it makes us stronger. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Perseverance of Job is an excellent example of standing in and dealing with the trial. Job didn't want to deal with the trial. One of my favorite things that, that I appreciate Job saying in the midst of the difficulty as he's talking to his three friends about what's going on is he tells those friends eventually, you know, I've learned. It's okay. Make the trial stop. You can make the suffering stop at any time. I've learned. I know I've learned the lesson. I, I, I get it, God. Don't teach me anymore. And God's response was simply, you're going to have to keep suffering to learn the lesson. School's not out. Time to keep learning. The trial must continue. And we do that in suffering and trial. I feel like that in a number of times in trials in my life. I'm sure you feel the same way. You get in the middle of the trial and you go, okay, <laughs> uncle, uncle, <laughs> I've learned my lesson. Stop. Okay, I get it, I get it. That's not perseverance. <laughs> and that's what James is pointing out. There's an intended end result. Perseverance is one of those things that we're going to learn. And we're going to refine our faith so that we can be ready to face the next trial and the next challenge. David's early trials was bears and lions. His new challenge was Goliath. He had some greater challenges ahead, as we will, Lord willing, get to look at in future lessons. Some very difficult challenges in regards to his sons, regards to his family. These difficulties were preparing him and refining that faith and testing him. And we need to see similarly that when we have our time of trial, it's time to then prepare. Rely upon the past, how God has delivered you before. Make God's glory your priority, not my own comfort of trying to get out of the situation, but enduring the test and being ready to stick it through to the very end. David gives us some great lessons. I hope if you are in the midst of trial, you will not be led. It's very easy to give up on God when things get hard. You throw your first stone and it doesn't seem that God's responding. It's easy to throw in the towel and go, okay, I'm on my own. I'm going to work myself. Perseverance is to continue to trust in God, to continue to work through the difficulty and realize that God is with you to the very end and God will deliver us and we will be made all right, even though it may not come out the way we expect. In the end, God is with us. I hope you'll take these lessons and think about how David stood with Goliath. And when you face your giants, you will be ready to have the same response as you deal with the difficulties of life. When you pull your song books out, we're going to sing an invitation song inviting you to put your trust in Jesus Christ to submit and surrender your life to Him.
recognizing that God is the only one that's in control of the things that are going on in this world, we don't have a say-so as to how we want it to go. As much as I would like to be in control of all the things that happen in my life, at some point we recognize we don't have any bit of control. And so it's time to turn our lives over to the one who's in charge. Put your trust in God and let him deliver you through the good times and through the bad times. Have faith and confidence that God is with you to the very end. For he's made a promise, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. But are we going to forsake God? When things get hard, that's often when we turn our back. Turn to him. Turn away from sin. Turn away from selfish living. And turn to the God who's offering you grace and mercy. Confess your sins to him. Be immersed in water to have your sins washed away. Why don't you do that now while we stand and while we sing?